every Green Diva needs a sidekick. At the Green Divas radio show, they're called Green Dudes. Time now for a deeper shade of green from a guy's perspective. Kevin the Dark Ranger Poe, man of mystery, astronomy, and helping teach us about light pollution. It's been way too long. Hi, Kevin. Hi there. One of our favorite green dudes out there in the world doing some good. So it's funny that we were talking today because last night at 3.45, or in the morning, I should say, at 3.45 a.m., we had the screeching alarm and a voice saying, carbon monoxide warning. So we're like, what? So we, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on. Meanwhile, I just wandered outside on my little porch outside my bedroom because, yes, I am spoiled. And I'm looking at the stars and I said, you know, everybody, you all just need to come out here and look up. It is stunning. And I have appreciated that since we moved to this new place because we're farther from civilization, which is my preference anyway, I have just been in love and smitten with my night sky. And since I had talked to you and learned more about light pollution, I'm so much more aware of it. Uh, I really want to sit on my little porch every night and stare up at the stars. So anyway, that's my little opening story. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. And yeah, I'm excited to hear that. Sorry about the carbon monoxide, but I'm excited to hear that uh, you got a chance to uh, see what would probably be about a March sky if you're out there that early and Orion would have been straight overhead. Okay. And and, uh, probably quite an enjoyable experience. It really was. And by the way, there was no carbon monoxide. It, what it is, it, you know, and that was after the police and the fire department and all the hoo-ha and the dog freaking out. It's probably a faulty uh, monitor. So anyway, I digress. Yeah, I don't know that much about mapping the sky. Like I think I saw the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. And I swear, I sat there long enough and I swear I could feel the earth turning and see the sky moving. It was kind of cool. Yeah, it does sound great. That's uh, that's one of the real appeals for astronomy, and that's kind of my my new uh, thrust is to uh, run an astronomy tourism business. I bought some really dark sky land out west of uh, Bryce Canyon National Park, and we go seven nights a week entertaining people from uh, really all around the world uh, who want to see with a fairly accessible location. You know, it's a little darker in the Atacama Desert and Chile and Antarctica and the outback <laughs> in Australia and a couple of primary places, but we're a lot easier to get to. Yeah. So we've, uh, we've started an astronomy tourism business, my, my family and I, and uh, things are going great. And people seek us out for just that type of experience as you described. Well, I, I for one, really would like to do that, and, and I'm going to recommend it for myself and for anybody else because I'm woefully ignorant about the night sky but i i know that i love it and i know that whenever i've had a chance to observe it uh, whether i'm on an island somewhere occasionally or now living in this place where i'm living and, and now knowing what i know but let's let's catch up our listeners who may not know as much about light pollution yeah so it's uh it's still a phrase maybe not everybody's heard there are two words in the same sentence before light and pollution we normally think of light as being good, but the, the message I like to put out there is light is like everything else. Um, at some point, if you have too much of a good thing, it can suddenly 
and and maybe um, unexpectedly become a bad thing. So so the message is is that well I would agree that perhaps Edison's light bulb or the other people that Edison got the idea from is probably one of the greatest inventions of our species of all time. We uh, try to advocate a restriction and a, uh, a limited use of light. Um, trying to solve the problems that we think we need light for in as smart a way as possible rather than just using a huge amount of light. So that goes down a lot of different roads, but for a lot of people it's uh, home security and a sense of safety. And so we try to get people to rethink motion sensor light technology, the color of light they use. There's a lot of pretty easy win-win compromises that, that are available. It's right. just knowing about them, seeking them out, and, uh, and the follow-through that's a little bit tricky. Well, and let's talk about I was so stunned when I first spoke to you a few years ago that I was so ignorant about the effect that light pollution has on... Uh, many species, and probably including humans. Yeah, so the ecological impact, there's a lot of data on that, and there's quite a bit in the medical community too. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's that um, self-preservation need that helps people wake up to this issue. One of the uh, the things that's, um, that's kind of making its way out into the general public now is this idea that light pollution causes cancer. It's um, it's a little bit of an overstatement. It's kind of like the bumper sticker version of the truth. So I always take a little bit of time to try to um, explain what what's really going on. Uh, but it's it's certainly an endorsed thing. The American Medical Association a couple of years ago came back with um, a review of a variety of different studies and confirming there really is a link. But but basically what happens is is that light pollution or when we sleep with light shining on our face and it doesn't take very much, the equivalent of about one and a half candle flames at a distance of three feet mm-hmm. is enough to set our melatonin production to zero. And so with your melatonin production at zero, there's all kinds of other health side effects. But one of the ones that really gets people attention is the, is the big C issue. And what it, what it amounts to is that melatonin sort of bonds or sorry, blocks the bonding of lanolin fat. So when you get a, when you get a tumor growing uh, inside of you, the tumor tries to hide itself from the immune system by surrounding it with this special type of fat. And uh, in a simplified way, you can think of the antibodies in the in the bloodstream floating through, checking on stuff. And when they see this uh, extra pile of fat, they would say, you know, in my case, well, the dude's just putting on a little bit of weight. That's not our problem. And then they go attack a, you know, a cold virus or something else like that. But what that tumor really is, or what that wall of fat really is, is a, is a cancer tumor that's trying to disguise itself in the immune system. And what melatonin does is it attaches itself to that wall of fat and then signals the immune system saying, hey, guys, this is a real problem. And uh, mm-hmm. then your immune system response goes into overdrive, billions of antibodies make an attack, you get sick, you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, I got some you know, bad news for you, you have cancer. But the good news is we caught it early. But for those of us, and it's most of us, that sleep with uh, even just a little bit of light shining on our face, that melatonin early warning system fails, and our tumors get to stage two and three when maybe we would have known we had a problem when they were just at stage one. See, every time I talk to you, I learn something new. Yeah, and it's the fast-growing tumors. It's the ones that, interestingly enough, get a lot of attention, breast cancer, prostate cancer, things like that, um, that seem to have the greatest response to... um, a melatonin recognition, but it's fairly new or at least 
new-ish that's been somewhat ignored until really the Mayo Clinic came out with a, uh, a first summary of data and analyses, and now the American Medical Association is on board. So it's getting traction uh, every day. But I, I try to to uh, draw the line um, with, you know, lighting my hair on fire and running out in the streets by, by reminding people that light pollution doesn't necessarily cause cancer, but by weakening our immune system, a cancer can get further along before we realize we have a problem. And, of course, we all know that early detection is uh, the, the path to victory over the big C. So, okay, so humans are affected and, and our health can be very impacted. Yeah, so the solution is to make your bedroom or wherever you sleep as dim as possible. Uh, and then the color of light matters too. So the more blue your light is, like these little blue rectangles that some of us fall asleep in front of, whether they're the handheld time or the big kind on the wall, are probably the worst thing that you want to have shining on your face at night. And you can mitigate that with sleep timers and things like this. But a better idea is just to make your sleep space an amber or orange light source and uh, and nothing else. Maybe even red. Um, any of the what we call the, the longer wave radiation, the reds, yellows, and oranges, don't have as much of a medical or an ecological impact. So if you need a little bit of light to get up in the middle of the night to make your way to the bathroom or just to uh, stave off the boogeyman, um, just make sure that that color of light is as warm as you can get it. The salt lamps that everybody is excited about and, and, and the instructions are to leave it on all the time and it's supposed to help cleanse the room of energy and, I don't know, ionize. I don't know what the heck, but I had one for a little while and it's on all night long. But it's a very kind of low, dim, pinkish, orangey thing. Yeah, and that would be better. Yeah, the redder you can make it, the better. Okay. Um, but the ideal circumstance is just to sleep in a dark room if you yeah. can get used to it. So, and some people have a hard time with that. And, and uh, you know, and, and but I think it's, I think a lot of times it's sort of how we end up being raised. I, I uh, became aware of this some time ago and tried to uh, raise my three boys without them having a nightlight in their bedroom. Yep. Or when they did, it was just a, a, a minute little orange thing. And I, I think that, you know, people will say that humans have an innate fear of the dark. I don't know if that's entirely true or not. I think as much as uh, we we nurture ourselves in certain ways, we create that fear. And I want to talk about the ecology, too, because interestingly enough, what I've found over the years is that I can usually inspire a little bit more awareness if I if I talk about wildlife. Um, and, and part of that is because I'm in a, you know, a, a wild setting here in southern Utah. And part of the reason people come to, to this part of the world is to see our are different kinds of animals, but the um, the ecological impact is across the board. It's been thoroughly studied with sea turtles and uh, and with birds, but uh, most of the animals that people travel to see, go to national parks and things, are largely nocturnal creatures. And when we fill their world with artificial light, we're creating an impact on uh, on their biorhythms. And some of it, it's it's well known, and some of it, we're only just beginning to research. Well, I, I suppose you know the statistics better than I do, but it it is in the millions, the millions of numbers of birds that are killed every year from artificial light. We'll explain. Right. That. Yeah, there's a really cool organization based in Toronto called FLAP, uh, Fatal Light Awareness Program. They're on the on the forefront of this, and their numbers are actually now in, into a billion. They're, they estimate that about a billion Migratory birds are killed every year in the United States 
as they migrate across our city landscapes. And, and then the other thing that um, can be can do a huge impact on mortality are, are tall radio towers or any kind of telecommunication towers. Um, there's, there's good news on that front, and we figured out that by putting a flashing light on the tower, it minimizes the bird mortality a, a great deal. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing because the FCC finally came out with a policy that said that any tower that's over 150 feet has to be retrofitted. It's not like we're just going to grandfather in the old bad towers with these lights that do cause uh, bird mortality. They, they finally were convinced. I'm, I'm still trying to research exactly what changed to what extent FLAP was involved or the International Dark Sky Association, but it was just an exciting thing to see in uh, early January that uh, FCC came out with this new policy because that's going to make a big difference in a lot of these rural locations. I was just going to ask about ta- you know towers that leave lights on all night long in cities. Yeah, so the city environment is kind of a, kind of encouraging too. That and this is something that Flap can directly take credit for. But there's uh, there's this new voluntary darkening that uh, New York City um, denizens are invited to participate in for the two migratory bird weekends in the in the fall and and in the spring. And what they've noticed is they can get about a 25 percent reduction in overall light just asking people for the sake of the birds to dim their lights. And you know we Westerners out here like to make fun of New Yorkers as being hard and cold-hearted and callous people, but uh, anybody that makes that kind of an effort uh, definitely gets our attention because that 25 percent reduction in light has reduced the mortality of migrating birds over the city by 50 percent. Wow. So it's one of those examples where we find that just a little bit of a gain does a heck of a lot of good. And I think that's what what people need to hear on so many different environmental issues where you can have an immediate impact. Well, I've always felt since I first heard about you a few years ago that this this topic is way underreported. And so I feel like it's important. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today and hopefully talk to you again, how important it is to get the word out. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I try to attach it any way I can. There's there's uh, climate change impacts. You know, a lot of people find that to be a, a bandwagon of activism. And so one of the simplest ways to reduce our carbon footprint is to use less electricity. And about 16% of the, uh, the electricity generated within the United States goes to lighting. And so by putting in, you know, the increasingly efficient bulbs, and, and generally the LEDs do that for you, but the method that uh, creates the best LED light is to then filter it so it comes out of the fixture as yellow or orange. Right. And uh, that's kind of a, it's kind of a newish technology, but it is available on the market. There's a company called uh, U-Stellar, which is a great name, by the way, but it's capital U-Stellar, S-T-E-L-L-A-R. Nice. And they have these lights that they originally started marketing as party lights. They're, they're floodlights that you can change the color of the light and you can make them strobe and you can have yourself a rage and dance party. But I recommend them for people that are interested in doing the right thing because they can put them in a red or yellow mode and use them as a security lights around their residences and not have that same ecological impact on the on the surrounding environment or even the human health for the people that live inside the house. So how can people find out more about what you're doing and, and any other sites you might recommend for this topic? One of the, one of the best organizations is the International Dark Sky Association. And uh, you can go to uh, their website, which is ida.org and get a lot of good information about different issues relating to light pollution. Um, I have a website that right now is in the process of being rebuilt, so it's kind of unavailable, but we're still doing a lot of good things through our 
Facebook page, which oh. is uh, I am the Dark Ranger. You can look us up on Facebook and and uh, click on the like button and then get uh, the things that we like to alert people about as part of your Facebook feed. That's excellent. I so appreciate the work that you're doing and taking some time out today to talk to us about things we need to be alert about, things we need to be aware of and help educate others and turn off your lights or change the way your lighting is, which, as you point out, and if you do the homework, it's not that difficult and it can have a, a positive impact. Yeah, I think the the thing I'd like to conclude with is just to let people know that there really are a lot of ways you can make uh, a big impact. You know, you don't have to go completely dark. Everything's always hard when you go cold turkey. But um, by changing the color of the light to make it less blue, less white um, is a huge benefit. Motion sensors are a great, great way of not only saving uh, money, but also making your home security a smart security system rather than just uh plain old boring dumb lights. The modern burglar doesn't have much respect for floodlights, but motion sensor lights uh, really are an effective means of providing that home safety we think we need. And then from there, it's just one thing after another. I like to think about the color of the light as kind of the gateway to all of this. After you get a night sky friendly color light, then you might be curious about what's next. And and we and then the folks at uh, International Dark Sky Association will be there to help steer people down that road. Want more information on this Green Dude segment and other ideas for low-stress green living? Go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com.